0: Speak to him. They are who we thought they
2: were. And we let them out the I get out of hand, just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. F left, 372 Y stick
3: 6-5. The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt.
2: Well, how am I
0: going to go to college? I'll just play football.
2: All right, and just like that, hour number two of today's show, on this Tuesday has begun. I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you all are doing well. Hit me up. Call me, text me, tweet me. Type your comment question in on the live stream over here on Facebook. Any way I can hear from you, I'd be happy to. Call me on the Divinity phone, 995-1059. Text me, 885-ESPN. On Twitter, it's at Radio Wyatt. Here, coming up in hour two, we're going to talk with a friend of mine named Don Williams. Don uh, has been in the media business for really his entire career. Um, in the broadcast business for years and years. He's originally from the state of South Carolina. Came up calling games. He used to call college football games uh, for South Carolina. Did some national play-by-play stuff for baseball and other sports with the Westwood one, then got into kind of the uh the rights side of this, where the money is, frankly. I uh, went to work with Learfield. He's been with them for a long time. Learfield, the company that owns the broadcast rights for Mississippi State, and now with Ole Miss too, because of the merger with Learfield IMG College. And anyway, Don, but as a member of the media and a South Carolinian He's been working and covering the Masters for over 30 years. I think last year was his 32nd is what he told me. And we had the news yesterday. The Masters actually this year going to take place in November. But it's twofold for having Don on here in just a few minutes uh, when we get him on the Divinity phone. Don is uh, a big Tigers fan also. And yesterday you had the news of Mr. Tiger, Al Kaline, passing away at the age of 85. He played for the Tigers one team for 21 years from 53 to 74. he was an 18-time all-star a member of their World Series championship team in 68 his numbers retired he was the first ballot Hall of Famer and we're going to talk with Al I mean we're going to talk with Don about Al Kaline his life Mr Kaline passing away yesterday he's a heck of a deal heck of a player but Don grew up a Detroit Tigers fan so we're going to talk about all that with Don coming up here in uh, just a bit. Hey, and speaking of the Tigers, you know, I played for you earlier the clip of on this day in 84 Jack Morris throwing a no-hitter for um, the Tigers against the White Sox.
0: ...the cap by Morris working up the set position now. He goes to his set. Waits. Here it comes. He sucks him out and Morris has a no-hitter.
2: Well, that voice on the play-by-play there is Ernie Harwell. You know, and I told you that's someone that if you're not familiar with Ernie Harwell's work as a baseball announcer, you ought to be. Here's something I came across a couple of years ago, and I have saved it. And this year, without an opening day and without baseball, I didn't really have a, a an obvious chance to play it for you. But I, since I brought him up today, I think this is a good opportunity. Ernie Harwell, longtime Tigers announcer, and... This was something he recorded, or they had him record, about what baseball is, and then somewhere along the way someone put music to it. This is the voice of Ernie Harwell.
0: Baseball is a president tossing out the first ball of the season and a pudgy schoolboy playing catch with his dad on a Mississippi farm. A tall, thin old man waving a scorecard from the corner of his dugout. That's baseball. Baseball. So is a big fat guy with a bulbous nose running home one of his 714 home runs. There's a man in Mobile who remembers that Hannes Wagner had a triple in Pittsburgh 46 years ago. That's baseball. And so is a scout reporting that a 16 year old Sandlot pitcher in Cheyenne is a coming Walter Johnson. Baseball is a spirited race of man against man, reflex against reflex of game of inches. Every skill is measured, every heroic, every failing, seen and cheered or booed, and then becomes a statistic. In baseball, democracy shines its clearest. The only race that matters is the race of the bag. The creed is a rule book, and color, merely something to distinguish one team's uniform from another. Baseball is a rookie, his experience no bigger than the lump in his throat as he begins fulfillment of his dream. It's a veteran, too. A tired old man of 35, hoping those aching muscles can pull him through another sweltering August and September. Nicknames of baseball, names like Zeke and Pie and Kai Kai and Home Run and Cracker and Dizzy and Dazzy. Baseball is the clear, cool eyes of Rogers Hornsby, the flashing spikes of a Ty Cobb and an overaged pixie named Rabbit Moranville. Baseball, just a game, as simple as a ball and bat, and yet as complex as the American spirit it symbolizes. It's a sport, a business, sometimes almost even religion. Why, the fairy tale of Willie Mays making a brilliant World Series catch and then dashing off to play stickball in the streets with his teenage pals. That's baseball. And so is the husky voice of a doomed Lou Gehrig saying, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of this earth. Baseball is cigar smoke, hot roasted peanuts, ladies' day, down in front, take me out to the ball game, the seventh inning stretch, and the star spangled banner. Baseball is a man named Capanella telling the nation's business leaders, you have to be a man to be a big leaguer. you have to have a lot of little boy in you, too. This is a game for America, this baseball. A game for boys and for men.
2: Really good. That's what baseball is, read by Ernie Harwell, the late, great announcer for the Detroit Tigers. And, uh, on the phone line with us right now, Davinny Equipment phone, Davinny Equipment, Madison and in Jackson friend of mine, Don Williams, who grew up a Tigers fan who probably had a little chill go up his spine. Every time he gets to hear the voice of the late, great Ernie Harwell, Don, good day to you, sir. Hope you're doing well. Did you catch a little bit of that hearing Ernie Harwell's voice?
3: I did. I did. You can't imagine, uh, how many, uh, James, I heard our Ernie Harwell call over the years from uh, when I started following the Tigers in sixty two. Sixty two, Matt Wyatt. <laughs> How old were you then?
2: And I was not. Uh, a, I was not. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, you know, combination of Ernie Harwell and uh, Al Kaline. That was the uh, basis of my uh, of my youth. Uh, fun times. And, of course, sad to get the news yesterday on my wife's birthday that Al Kaline oh. had died.
2: Well, Ooh. I belated uh, 24 hours later birthday to Donna. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't know <laughs> her. I would have messaged her. Yeah, I saw that news. I thought of you. Uh, I also had the news of the Masters. I'll get around to that. But saw the news yep. yesterday, the passing of Al Kaline. I was just looking it up, Don. So he played for the Tigers. One team from 53 to 74, an 18-time All-Star and a key member on that 68 World Series team. As a lifelong Tigers fan, you grew up watching him. Of course, before you were listening to him, maybe for us, Don, tell me what stands out the most about his career, about Al Kaline, the player.
3: You know, that's kind of hard because, you know, you look at it from a lot of different angles. When I started following the Tigers, I was eight years old. And, he really wasn't the fan favorite on that team. Mm-hmm. And this would take really old people like myself. And, uh, you know, in Mississippi, not that many people would be following the Tigers. But they had a guy named Rocky Colavito, who was uh, really the fan favorite. He'd been acquired a couple of years earlier from Cleveland, led the league in home runs. Really a colorful guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he um, he got traded a couple of years after that. Before, I think to uh, Kansas City, and he had he had a nice career, uh, but he wasn't uh, a Hall of Famer like Kaline was. So Kaline kind of just became that guy that was there every day and did everything well. And that is, um, I think, when you read the um, uh, the obituaries today and the remembrances, it was all about that. He showed up every day did his job kind of like Freddie Freeman uh, in that regard, in that he was never the best in the league at anything, but he was great at everything. The one thing that he probably was the best at in the American League was he was the best right fielder. He could play, uh, he could do anything defensively, and he had probably the best arm in the American League. A lot of people don't remember this, but the second best right fielder in the 60s was Roger Maris. That gets lost uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, the home run mm-hmm. uh, the chase that Maris had in 61 with Mantle. But Clemente was probably the best right fielder of all time, played at the same time as K-Line. He had a lot of that going on. You know, there was there were other people that K-Line would be compared to. Clemente, uh, most obvious. But in the American League, you had Mickey Mantle. And so K-Line was always that next guy. And his teams were never that good. Except for two or three isolated incidents. And of course, '68 was the great team. Yeah. And if you're a Tigers fan, you remember '68, you remember '84. And uh, so I've been a fan for how long, Matt? '62 till now is 58 years. Yeah. I got two years to hang my hat on, '68
2: and '84. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's kind of like being a Braves fan, too, you know? So well, yeah. I can sort of right. understand it. Hey, and th- this is, I know, unusual to to play things for you on a radio interview, but we're going to do it here. I want you to hear this. I found these clips. All right? okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to start you off. This is from Game 6 of the 1968 World Series. See if you can hear this.
3: A-line with two hits in one inning. Two runs scored. Drove in runs with each of his hits. Won the first hit to the second hit. There she goes! No
2: doubt about it! Oh my! First hit. so he had three straight hits in game six of the 68 world series with the exclamation point being a, a home run right there um, here's the other one hit number 3000 Don from 1974 the pitch is swung
0: on there's a drive down to right field into the corner it'll be in for a base set. maybe extra bases Al is digging for second he's in with a stand up double a two-base hit for Al Kaline. hits number 3,000 in his fabulous career of 22 years.
3: As a member of the Tigers, listen to this standing ovation.
2: So you got a standing ovation. Pretty cool moments there, huh, Don?
3: In Baltimore, uh, off Dave McNally, and that was his hometown. So that was uh, quite fitting. You'll appreciate this. I was... Um, sitting outside yesterday, enjoying the nice weather. And I got a text from uh, an old friend of mine, someone you, I don't know that you met him, but certainly you know the name. Pete Yannity, oh, yeah, was the one to, he texted me and said, <clears throat> sad day. And the caption was 3,007. 3007. Well, 3,007 is the number of hits that K-Line had. So I knew immediately mm. what it meant. And then I went and looked online and saw that, yes, 30 minutes earlier or so, there was a story I read last night on The Athletic uh, by the Tiger beat writer that said Kaline went to spring training uh, last month, or maybe February, as he'd done for every year since 1954, and um, was around the team And it said his health was not good, but he was able to go, and uh, he had dinner, he and his wife had dinner with Jim Leland, the former Tiger manager. Uh, and Leland was quoted as saying, I, it almost felt like a goodbye dinner. Uh, he said, he hugged me at the end of the dinner and said, thanks for being my friend all these years. Mm. So, uh, yeah, uh, but he was doing what he loved up until the very end. Apparently he had a stroke last week, and uh, from that point on it was, uh, it was downhill.
2: Downhill. So Al Kaline passed away yesterday, 85 years old, great uh, Detroit Tiger over 20 years with one team. Don Williams on your radio right now on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Don, I mentioned to folks listening, you've covered the Masters for well over 30 years consecutively. I assume this will be the first one, if it goes off without a hitch, according to yesterday's news, that you will have covered in November. Am I correct? Uh,
3: well... Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe assumption that that uh, myself and everybody else, uh, <laughs> it'll be unprecedented. What does Augusta National look like in November? And if you're from South Carolina, like I am, and and Augusta is just a suburb of South Carolina, um, November can be anything. Mm-hmm. I have done some games at Williams-Brice Stadium when it was 42 degrees, and it can also be 90. So uh, the weather could be interesting in mid-November.
2: Sure. Well, and you know, when you think about it, Don, um, the feel of the Masters, watching it after other potentially meaningful golf events—that's the other thing too. I I, 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 I have a hard time since yesterday seeing that, even imagining it. What about you, someone who's seen it in person all these years? Can you? Are you having a hard time imagining it, or are you just excited that it's at least on the schedule and then we'll see if we get there?
3: I'm definitely the latter, Matt. Mm. I'm, I'm excited it's on the schedule and looking forward to going and, of course, understanding and knowing that it will be unlike anything we've ever seen before. But the good news is that, and it's the caveat is if, and I still think it's a huge if. Mm-hmm. The caveat is, I mean, uh, the, the reality is it will be different in so many different ways. But it will still be good. It will be great. And then when it's over, it will only be five months until we get to do it all again. So that's going to be phenomenal.
2: That's a great point. I had not thought of that. And Yeah.
3: He, See, here's what they announced, and you had to read through the, you know all the stuff. So the cutoff, of course, to qualify for Augusta was last week. The last criteria was top 50 world ranking as of uh, 10 days before the Masters. So that was last week. Plus, uh, you could qualify if you won the golf tournament that was played this past weekend. Well, the world golf rankings are finalized uh, until more play happens, and there was no golf tournament. So the field for the 2020 Masters is set. And no matter what happens between now and then, you can win the Players' Championship, you can win the Memorial, you can win whatever. That's not going to get you into the 2020 Masters. So, so the, the everybody who has qualified based on the normal Masters criteria, uh, including the guy from Mississippi that was the U.S. Amateur runner-up last year, they will be in this 2020 Masters.
2: Yeah, that's amazing. When I told Annabeth last night, in conversation over dinner i said you know i found out today they put it on the schedule the masters is going to be in november she had a dual response two parts and it was her observation immediately done without hesitating she said well there will be no azaleas and then there was a pause (laughs) there was a pause and then she said and they're going to have to change the menu (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I never Uh-oh. would have thought of that. And I guess they probably won't change the menu, even though it's November, will they? <clears throat>
3: no, I, I think pimento cheese and egg salad will still be served in November. It was, uh, yeah, it was funny, you know, um, with the way the climate has changed uh, in recent years, they really struggled mm, to get the azaleas right Masters mm-hmm. Week because they, you know, it just gets warm too early. And there was a story written today about mm, uh, Augusta this week and how weird it was, how different it was. And they made the point that the Azaleas this year were already past their peak.
2: Oh. So they
3: wouldn't have had them for this week, so they're not going to have them in November either.
2: Okay. You know, being there a couple of years ago and and getting to see what a Saturday and a Sunday are like, um, it, I, I it just, you know, the event, and Don, I've got about one minute, which is a crunch here, but... <laughs> The event is such a spectacle that I just think it won't matter when they play it as long as they play it. Do you agree?
3: <clears throat> That's right. Oh, absolutely. There's no question. And, and since we're crunched on time, I, just, I think you know that all the final rounds of Augusta are on YouTube since 1968. Mm-hmm. I made the decision that I was going to go watch every single one of the ones that I have been to. Beginning in 82. Uh, I am now uh, working on the 91 Masters right now. So between now and November, I'm going to finish
2: them. Did you watch 86 twice? Be honest.
3: No, I (laughs) I prefer 85.
2: Okay. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to go look at that one this afternoon then. That'll be my homework. (laughs) Bernhard Langer. Bernhard, yes. Okay, now I get it. Now I get it. (laughs) Listen, Don, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, Some time here today on a Tuesday, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you.
3: Say hello to the family for me.
2: All right. Same to you. And happy birthday to Donna from us. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's Don Williams. So he's been there and covered it. um, I think it was, I think last year he told me it was 32 years consecutively at the Masters. It might have been 33. I think it was 32. And, um, Of course, when my wife and I were there a couple of years ago, Saturday, Sunday, we got to see and visit and spend some time with Don, get a little tour. And I really do think, I mean, if you can just imagine, if you wanted to, let's just allow ourselves to hope upon hope as a sports fan and go as glass half full as we can. Let's allow ourselves to do it. And close your eye and peek ahead to November 2020. Now, if you're as old as I am, you know that'll be here pretty quick. It sounds like a long time off, but it's not. It'll be here quick. Peek ahead to November 2020. And a vaccine is available. We've all had our shots. We're no longer afraid to go to sporting events. We're able to do that according to the experts. And on one weekend, we've got SEC football NFL football and the Masters at Augusta National. Be a heck of a moment, won't it? I look forward to it. Let's keep hoping. All right, we'll continue hour two right after this. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
2: interested in a little classic college football but this the more recent verb. I mean it's classic because it involves a national champion but it, it wouldn't be old and when you use the word classic it always insinuates something old I'm talking about last year's LSU football team if you're an LSU fan or if that just interests you I'm giving you a heads up watch uh, on ESPNU today they are replaying at 2 o'clock LSU's game against Ole Miss at 5 o'clock, their game in the college football playoff semifinal, and then at 8 o'clock tonight on ESPNU replaying the national title game. So you got some football if you want to watch it. Replay stuff. Do you guys like watching replays? Do you like watching the replays of games on all these sports networks? I mean, I do. I, I... don't necessarily think that's always the right way to look at stuff. I, I, In other words, me, I'm not always looking at it the best way. What's ahead is certainly better to focus on than what's behind. I have a tendency sometimes to go a little overboard with nostalgia. If you listen to this show, you know what I mean. Like Matt's always this TV show from the 80s and this moment from the 90s. I mean, I like that stuff. It's just me. I'm being honest with you. Now, you would prefer to not always look back. (laughs) Right now, though, it's all you can do, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're getting classic games replayed on the Major League Baseball network. You're getting it on ESPNU with college stuff, basketball stuff all over the place. I mean, I probably would do it. I probably, if I had time and didn't have something else going on when this show was over, I'd probably flip over there and watch LSU whip up on Ole Miss and whip up on somebody else and whip up on Clemson tonight. You know, I'd watch it. I don't know that I... I mean, I certainly can't treat any classic game the same way I do a real game that's going on, and that is tune in from the start until the finish and only leave the couch for bathroom breaks. You know, I I can't do that with a classic game, but I can watch some of it. You know, the Major League Baseball Network replayed the 92 playoff game, Sid Bream sliding in for the Braves against the Pirates to send them to the World Series. I DVR'd that, and I've still yet to watch the whole thing. Two different nights in a row, I turn on, watch a few innings, turn it off. <laughs> I can't do it. Can't watch the whole thing. I just wonder if y'all like it as well. Enjoy watching those. Hey, look at here on the country pleasing text line eight eight five ESPN Ghost Pepper. Thank you for that right there. Just made the grocery run. Look at that. Whew. Two packages of the original flavor smoked sausage from country pleasing one package of the cajun and Dewey flavor and two packages of the country pleasing pineapple and pork smoked sausage Woo! make your tongue slap your head off that's what i'm talking about good stuff Hey, Beaver, I got a story I just got to tell you about. Beaver, you ever been to the New York area or New York itself? I haven't. Okay. When you go there, and you've probably seen this in movies and TV shows, like there are these street vendors all over the place? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're everywhere, like on every corner. Two years ago around Christmas, my family, we went for about a week It was basically like a a vacation. We didn't go that summer on vacation, so we went around Christmas and took our daughter to New York for a week, and we just saw a lot of stuff. I had never been there before. It was a really neat thing, just see all of it. I was glad to come back home, I'll be honest with you, but it was nice to go see it for a week. It's kind of place that, man, I know they have plenty of money and big jobs and all that kind of stuff, but gosh, I would not want to live there. I cannot imagine having to live there. I mean that sincerely. Not that it's a bad place. It's There's a lot of cool stuff, but it's the kind of place you want to go visit, not live. I guess I just say that because like, we went to Central Park one day to just kind of walk around, see some of it, and to, to look at it and think, man, this is the only place within miles that has green grass and trees. I <laughs> just can't handle it. <laughs> I know that makes me a hick. But it's just the truth. But anyway, it's really cool to see all of it, and I'd love to go back and visit again, see more stuff. But anyway, I digress. Every street corner, man, there's somebody selling something—food, you know, street vendors selling shirts and hats and like sunglasses, and I mean it's just everywhere. Well, and that's expected. Listen to this: a street vendor there. Gave an interview. This street vendor has switched what they normally sell and is selling masks, surgical face masks, like sort of kind of like under the table black market got a hold of boxes full of masks. And this street vendor in New York says that he is selling them and making $2,000 a day. Selling masks. And here's what the story says. I mean, the story. An enterprising sidewalk vendor was hawking face masks and gloves outside a Rite Aid drugstore on Monday afternoon. Observers saw up to 40 customers dole out cash in about 30 minutes. Surgical face masks, $2 each, or 6 for 10. Washable cloth masks for $4 each. And the KN95 mask, a Chinese version of the high efficiency N95 mask, available for 6 bucks each, which is the same price as he had for a box of 100 disposable gloves. This story said three three quarters of the people who lined up, they were in intervals of about you know three to six feet of each other. They didn't stand close. Were already wearing similar items. There's a woman there who they interviewed, who walked up, bought two packages of surgical masks from the vendor, and told him, "This is my second visit here today." said the prices here are better than anywhere else. And it's safer to come here and get them because it's outdoors. That's her quote. Yeah. 2,000. Let's see. Here it is. In between replenishing his offerings from from an SUV that he had parked by with the boxes in there, he said he worked with different suppliers, quote-unquote. Made six hundred dollars in profits a day from two thousand dollars worth of sales. Now I will say, in New York, if he lives in New York, he, he maybe he does. He's got his he's got his uh, SUV there. I mean, six hundred dollars in your pocket profit a day, frankly, sounds like a whole lot. I'm not sure it would go very far in New York, like in New York City. Anywhere else, it'd go a long way. Yeah, so that's where we are. You want to know what the hot items are, just see what they're selling, the street vendors are selling in New York. I mean, because there it is. $2,000 worth of sales a day. Don't be getting any ideas, Beaver. We need you here.
1: Man, (laughs) look, it was suggested a few weeks ago that some of these masks might be Running out the back door of hospitals, mm. Mm, a lot of people laughed at that. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, mm. how are they being sold on the streets? And mm. I'm reading, I'm reading this article. I just looked it up. I'm thinking, my first thought is, why don't the cops shut this guy down? Yeah, why? not? And it not? says here, they made him move, and then after they made him move, they said, "Hey, can you donate the, these masks to the precinct?"
2: Isn't- Crooked man. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Well, but Beaver, and I understand, okay, so Crooked, and and maybe they should stop him and say, where'd you get these? But they've got all these policemen at the precinct who feel like they need these things and can't get them. They can't just walk out and buy them, plus they're working. And they're like, I mean, it's Crooked, so they're like, hey, we'll let you continue if you just give us a bunch of them. (laughs) Yeah. And what do they say? Like necessity, the father of invention.
1: Hmm.
2: Also necessity, the father of. Break whatever rules. Sometimes you have to. I guess. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't like I don't like any part of this story, Matt Wyatt. Yeah. They if you know, if the hospitals who, you know, the mayor there keeps telling us Mm -hmm. that they need, which. Right. I don't know that I buy him completely, but that's beside the point. If they do, in fact, in there, if they are in such bad need, maybe they should be there, not with some shady street vendor.
2: Yeah, you know exactly. You know, if there's a giant need in their hospitals, and where is he getting boxes of them and loading his SUV with those? I mean, that's that's true. And and the other thing too is, I mean, they're saying in this story that these. The Chinese version of the K95 mask, they called it a KN95, and he's selling them for six bucks a piece. But if the, if the real deal KN95 is a little more expensive and it is, they're gone because they are super duper masks, is this knockoff, which a lot of the street vendors in New York are just selling knockoff stuff. I mean, is the knockoff really worth six bucks and really doing a $6 job of blocking out the coronavirus? That's what I want to know. I would not trust a knockoff. Well, I mean, I guess any mask is better than no mask, and especially in a place like that. But Yeah, I mean, there's a picture. The reporter walked right up there and took a picture of two boxes of masks, full of them. Y'all stick around.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
2: Back on the show, I'm Matt. In the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau, go! With the home team up here in North Mississippi. It was raining pretty hard earlier, now it's slacked up and looks like the sun's trying to pop out. I don't know if we're going to get more rain or not, I just know that after today, I think the rest of the week around here, northern part of the state, it's supposed to be really nice into the weekend, maybe a little rain on Sunday, but. We're in that time of year where I, after mowing my yard, it only takes a couple of days to look out there and go, Dad, gum, needs mowing again. Shoot. <laughs> you just can't keep it mowed fast enough. Uh, shoot me a text over here on the Country Please and text line. It's 885-ESPN. 601 number. 885-ESPN or... 885-3776. Call me on the Davini phone. Davini Equipment in Madison, Ann & Jackson. Your Kubota dealer. 995-1059. Got it? Good. I just have to bring up a story to you. This did not strike me as the right sort of move. This doesn't make no sense to me, as I am want to say. This don't make no sense. (laughs) Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit calling NFL games. Yeah. The college guys. What do y'all think about that? Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreit. You know, college game day? Fowler and Herbstreit. College football primetime on ABC, part of the ESPN package Saturday nights. Those guys. What about them on Monday Night Football? According to Andrew Marchand, ESPN has given consideration to putting the network's top commentator duo for college football broadcasts in the booth for Monday Night Football. Dun 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 dun, bottom bottom. That it just oh man. Now again, the one thing that they're getting right at ESPN is this: as the network reportedly looks at alternatives to its current Monday Night Football crew of Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're getting that right. They've got a. F- that's just it. It just isn't working. Booger's good. Tessator's good. Booger's a great guy. It's not working. Now, this report didn't indicate how it would impact, maybe the football games they're calling for college stuff. This again, Fowler Herb Street. Now, as it is right now. This trio at ESPN, Steve Levy, Louis Riddick, and Dan Orlovsky are considered the top candidates for next year's Monday Night Football Booth. Y'all, what is going on at ESPN that they can't attract an A-list broadcast crew for, you know, for... Monday night football in the NFL. Well, I think there is this big, huge disconnect. What's the right word? There's this big, I don't know what the right word is. There's a difference, a split. Between looking at this from a a reality standpoint for Monday Night Football now versus the historical standpoint of those of us that are long enough to know how popular Monday Night Football has always been. Schism, that's the right word. There is a schism. Here's what it is. All of us, pretty much of any age, fans, what do we do? We look at Monday Night Football as a big deal. We do. It's Monday Night Football. It used to be the deal. Meaning, we expect that to be a list. We expect that production and those voices, the whole production, not just the voices, but the whole production of the whole package of Monday Night Football to be the best. I mean, for Pete's sake, growing up, for me, it used to have Al Michaels on there calling those games with Frank Gifford and Dan Dierdorf. And then we know they've changed it up over the years. and th- But then here recently, we got used to what? McDonough and Gruden. Chucky, John Gruden on Monday Night Football. We got used to that, and now he's back in coaching. Well, it's just been awful. And you go, why can't they attract? I mean, I know they made a run at Romo. And then so stupid, just dumb, they thought that, well, Romo's great on CBS. Let's go get his former teammate, Jason Witten, and put him on here. Hey, how dumb you got to be. But here's the thing about it. So to us, the viewers, current, you know, modern and old guys, Monday Night Football is a big deal. But here's the reality. Here's where the schism is, the divide, the gap. In reality, Monday Night Football is getting the worst NFL game, it seems like, of the whole week. It's just like it, you know, the matchups are so bad. Okay, why? Well, I think the NFL made a decision over the last five to ten years, slowly but surely, it was going to cater to these big network partners NBC Sunday Night Football, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Huge games and matchups. We're going to give you the Patriots and the Cowboys any chance we can get them. You know, huge game. Thursday Night Football, catering to, even though the players hate it, catering to Thursday Night Football and matchups on that Thursday Night game once they got it established. Because why? Because Thursday Night Football on the NFL Network is also paired with what? NBC and Fox, or whichever two, CBS and Fox. So ESPN's odd man out. The NFL, I think, and this goes back within the last 10 years, with all the problems that ESPN had. They've started to correct that in recent years, but I think the NFL has just started turning their nose up at ESPN. Didn't like it, didn't like their coverage, didn't like the way they went about it, didn't like what the company was doing. And decided, to heck with you. And they just start throwing the worst games at them. And ESPN dependent, completely dependent on live program, they'll take what they can get. Didn't really have any bargaining power, any leverage in the negotiations. Just gotten terrible games. And I think what has happened is, we are now seeing the result of that is, they can't go out and get A-list people to agree to be the Monday night football crew because the reputation in that world is man they're getting terrible games every week and oh by the way, have you seen how bad this has all been since Gruden left? yeah I think that's it I think they've I think it has gotten within the industry such a bad reputation that nobody's willing to jump on it I mean how much You saw the rumors. How many millions upon millions of dollars were they trying to throw at Tony Romo and then reportedly at Peyton Manning? It was reported that they were trying to go 10 years, like $140 million to Romo and Manning. They were like, nah. (laughs) So they can't. and And then obviously the headlines now that are making the rounds. Well, ESPN's going after Drew Brees when he retires. I mean, ESPN is already trying to position themselves as locking up Drew Brees to be their Monday night football guy, and he ain't even done playing yet. And I'm just telling you, it's rough. And now you're sitting here, you're going to tell me that longtime Sports Center anchor, and he's done what? I uh, mean, he's done other things. But Steve Levy, former GM Lewis Riddick, who really just kind of has been a, a talking head. He's very good in that role, like as a desk analyst of NFL and you know player personnel and contract stuff. And an obscure former player in Dan Orlovsky, and he may be great, but this is Monday Night Football. This is Monday Night Football. This is John Madden. This is Al Michaels, Dan Dierdorf, Frank Gifford, John Grew. This is Monday Night Football. And we're now sitting here now on our hands on that, on what was the product for off-Sunday football for our entire lives. In the last few years, we've gotten Jason Witten, Booger McFarland, and Joe Tessitore. And now I'm going to get Levy, Riddick, and Orlovsky? What are y'all doing? What is the problem? It's just, it's crazy how that has just turned on ESPN. It has, it, maybe it's the Thursday night thing. Maybe it's the strength of the Sunday night thing with Al Michaels, but it's crazy how that thing has just tanked for ESPN. And now you're telling me you're considering Fowler and Herb Street? That's the dumbest one yet. See y'all tomorrow. See ya.